Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. It is absolutely fine. If you look at my keyboard, you go to the website, you look at this thing and you say, what is this? I don't like it. I'm never going to buy this thing. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to provide customer service that will wow your customers, how to handle an angry customer, and how to explain your pricing to customers, especially if it's a higher price than your competitors. Today, I'm joined by Erez Zuckerman from ZSA Technology Labs, which are the creators and the makers of the world's most powerful mechanical ergonomic keyboard, and was started in 2015 and based out of Kitchener-Waterloo. Welcome, Erez. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. So for anyone out there that doesn't know about the, the kind of products that you produce, can you tell us a little bit more about what are mechanical ergonomic keyboards? For sure. So let's let's unpack that because that's a bit of a mouthful. First, <laughs> let's get to the mechanical. Uh, most keyboards you see today, either on a laptop or your conventional desktop keyboards, are um, use technologies like scissor switches or membranes. And so, you know, with laptop keyboards, uh, the idea is to give you the most compact board you know you can get because you got to fit it all in there. And with uh, traditional you know keyboards you find at the store, Logitech or whatnot. You usually want a keyboard that's well cheap, right? As as inexpensive as can be made and still, you know, function as a keyboard. A mechanical keyboard is different because each and every uh, key has an individual key switch under it, has a, a kind of an assembly with a spring under it. Um, and there's many kinds of these key switches and they vary in feel, in sound. And so you get a very white, you know, you can have a clicky keyboard, you can have a very silent one with stiff keys, with uh, keys that are very uh, easy to press and so on. So a wide, a wide range. And not to mention the key travel itself. When you strike the key, it really goes down quite uh, deep. So that's the mechanical part. It's a whole world of keyboards. Gamers tend to like mechanical mm-hmm. keyboards, but so do software developers. Um, next part there is ergonomic. So what is ergonomic, right? Ergonomic basically means it works with your body. It, it's, it's a whole subset of technology, uh, be it, uh, chairs, uh, or mice or keyboards that, um, with the idea being, let's adapt the tool to the person using it and not mm-hmm. vice versa. And so, you know, Basically, to me, what ergonomic means here is 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 just that. Um, and and what I'm saying is, you often see keyboards like, for example, the Microsoft Natural 4000, uh, which is a lovely ergonomic keyboard, but it's still one size fits all. You get mm-hmm. this keyboard, and it is what it is. It's curvy. It's curvy, and and you know it, it probably fits nicer in the hand. It's a lovely keyboard. It fits nicer in the hand than uh, than your regular, you know. Uh, board style keyboard, but you get what you get. Uh, but we're not all the same, right? People are different. They vary, you know, hand sizes vary, typing habits vary, and even the applications we use vary from from job to job and person to person. And so to be truly ergonomic, uh, in my opinion, a product has to be very customizable. You have to be able to fit it to your needs. So in a nutshell, what we make is a keyboard which is mechanical, it's built out of two separate halves, so you can uh, they're they're connected with the cable, and you can have them as far apart. You know, you can have a shoulder width apart. Uh, the cable itself is attachable, so some people swap it in for a longer cable and really mount it on a chair. Um, and the keyboard itself is programmable, so you can change what each and every key does, and you can even assign. Uh, dual function keys so that for example you have one key that when you tap it it sends the letter uh, z and mm-hmm. when you uh, hold it down it functions as a control key for example so you don't have to reach for the control key um and yeah basically right. people who who use it tend to report much lower levels of rsi if they already have rsi or suffer all sorts of you know uh, keyboard uh fatigue related um conditions uh you know, they report that it helps and it's just, it's mm-hmm. pleasant to use really. 
on on an extended basis. Got it. Makes sense. So you mentioned that the typical customers or, or the, the customers that are, are typically buying this product are gamers and then also software developers. When you have to produce a product like this, do you find that they are similar markets or similar demographics to market to, or do you have to change up the way you message or present the product for the, for the, the two, the two, you know, the gamers and the software developers? That's a great question. So I, I have to clarify that. So really our main, the main people who tend to buy the keyboard are software developer, mm-hmm. developers primarily, really. Um, we do have a niche of gamers. Recently, there was a very a lovely review on MMORPG.com, for example, about the keyboard. And gamers do do like it, but uh, it doesn't quite have the visual bling that gamers go for. Mm-hmm. You know, backlit backlit keys with uh, RGB and whatnot. So, I don't know. I'm I'm a software developer myself, and I think um, maybe our marketing or the the copy on the website. Um, has a certain bias possibly towards developers. I'm not sure. Maybe just because I wrote the copy and I happen to be one. Um, and so really we get a lot of interest from software developers. And over there, the marketing, marketing, you know, I I read a lot of Seth Godin. And uh, he's great in my opinion. And one of the things Seth Godin says is, you want to make a product that's remarkable. In the most literal sense of the wording, people will remark on your product. And, and that's our marketing. Uh, meaning, I think, um, I think things are very loud uh, with banners and even, you know, all, you know, social media and all that. It's very loud, like so many companies vying for our attention. Mm-hmm. And so I took a bit of a different tack and I said, hey, what if I just delivered exceptional service? Like, what if I really surprised people? With the level of service and support they get when they when they buy one of my keyboards, or even when they ask me about the keyboard, um, and I and I say mine, ask me because I took this to the level to the level where I personally reply to basically all incoming emails. It's it's a big part of my own job rather than you know hire some customer service person. I actually sit down for hours and reply to people, which is maybe an odd thing for me to do while running the company mm-hmm. uh, on the surface. But really, it isn't because it gives me such a good connection with the people who actually buy the product. And I understand on a very basic level, day in, day out, what they want, what they need, what they're looking for, that it really informs R&D. And it informs copy. It informs everything we do, this this very tight connection with with the people who buy the keyboard. And that's our marketing too, because I respond to people, I clearly care and clearly invested and they get a level of service, uh, not to mention, you know, any, any possible warranty issues, you know, like when, when I was years ago, I bought a keyboard for 200 bucks. Uh, we sell ours for 350 and I clearly remember $200 was extremely expensive for me at the time. It was mm-hmm. crazy for me to spend 200 bucks on a keyboard. And so I'm, I really carry that memory with me. And so when I sell our keyboard, it's crucial to me to offer the same level of service that I would have wanted back then from that company that I got the keyboard from. Um, and inadvertently, it ends up working as marketing. Because if you look at our Facebook page, if you look at our, at our reviews, if you look at what people say about us on Reddit and whatnot, it works not not because I said, hey, let's 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 you know let's do this so people get the keyboard. I said let's do this because it's the right thing to do, you know. Right. So I, I like I like the statement about how you want to create a, a product, a brand that that is remarkable. And when you describe what that means to you, you you talk about this going beyond just the, actually you didn't talk about the product at all. Really, you talked about the service that comes along with the, the product when you when you purchase it. And you you mentioned that you want to to wow them with customer service. Well, what, what's involved here? You know, is surprising people with customer service, does it, is there a lot involved here? Or do you think that there's just so much lack of customer service that people are exposed to that is not much effort? Like what are some examples that, that you can give that are ways that you have been able to, to, to provide customer service that, that does wow your customers? So usually when I have a key, when I have a problem, uh, any sort of problem. Let's say I I recently got a laptop, a nice little Chromebook, 
and uh, and I broke the keyboard. All I needed was a single keycap. That's all I needed for to fix that keyboard. I didn't actually, you know, break any electronics. It was just a broken key. Um, there was nobody to talk to. Nobody. I had to send uh, the laptop in. I had to pay two hundred or three hundred bucks, I think, uh, to have it repaired. This was a brand new laptop, and it came back to me with the original keyboard, basically undoing all of my changes and kind of like almost slap on the wrist of like, how dare you uh, try to, you know, make our laptop more ergonomic, mm-hmm. but, but without so much human contact. It was a very, very uh, cold and frustrating experience. And that is the norm. That's the norm. And, um, and so, you know, when, when <laughs> I got to say, like most companies set the bar pretty low. Mm-hmm. First of all, like most big businesses tend to set the bar pretty low. Maybe it's a function of scale. We are small, and and that that smallness is a huge advantage, really. Um, because again, I I sit down and I reply to each and every email myself these days, and I'm able to do everything else I gotta do. And when I reply, again, I treat people like I would like to be treated. So, somebody writes in with a complicated question, you know, some people, you know, it's, again, it's a lot of money to spend on a keyboard. So people really research and, and take their time just as I would. And somebody, you know, writes in a three page email, you know, you scroll and you scroll and you know what? And I actually sit down with a, with a cup of tea and I read every word and I take the time to reply at length multiple times because I care. And people don't often get that sort of treatment when they think of buying something maybe when they think of buying something super expensive maybe it's a, if it's a car uh, but not for a keyboard and then after the person buys i continue even more so um and that goes you know for rmas for example i don't want to say rmas are are um um essentially broken keyboards right warranty issues uh, let's say one of the keys stops working so the way we, let's say your keyboard stops working, what most companies would do, they would say, well, okay, uh, ship the keyboard to us at your expense, wait, pay for the repair, uh, then pay us to ship it back to you, we'll ship it back to you, and and then you'll have a working keyboard. And again, that is not how I would like to be treated. So if there's a problem with the keyboard, first of all, I ship you a new one. I just send you a new keyboard from Taiwan. I just I just send you the keyboard. You know, here's a new keyboard. First, you know, just have a new keyboard. Let me know when it works. You know, you you, you make sure it works and everything. And then you ship the old keyboard. And that's a surprising thing for most people. You know, when I get back to the hotel, okay, let me send you a new keyboard. You know, without dragging them through filling out forms and trying to, I don't know what, you know, like to, all those painful things, bigger businesses make people do all the red tape um Mm -hmm. and people are taken aback when they do that right and they and they and 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 the thing is the the funny thing to me is i think most businesses get people through this whole rigmarole of like the warranty process because they make this assumption that people are going to try to game the system that people are going to try to cheat or or get stuff or not and this has not at all been my experience in thousands and thousands of keyboards i found that you know, my my operating assumption is that people are decent and that they're gonna treat me kindly and the business kindly and that they won't take advantage of you know of this level of service. And so far it has really been proving out. Like people are just wonderful to deal with. Same with email. You know, it's funny because I, I've heard it said that customer service is very um it high friction, uh, you know, burnout inducing type of job, right? And I do customer service for hours every day. And there is very few days where I feel burnt out. Like it's just people are so nice and so thoughtful. I think I think because you come with it into it with the, the mindset that the customer is not going to try to to cheat to teach you essentially, right? I think a lot of times people when they think about customer service, they think about sitting down and doing customer service, they think that it's them versus the customer to try to essentially fight over the, the money, right? The money that they have to 
that the customer has paid or that they might have to shell out through through returns or exchanges and things like that. But you are approaching it with the mindset that they people are decent and that by coming into it that with that mindset, I think that that will reduce some of that kind of tension, that burnout that you that the other customer service people that, that that do customer service may face because the expectation is that it's going to be a bad experience. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you're running a, the, the business, of course, and then also spending a lot of your time. I think you said hours doing customer service every day. How do you? How does your day structure? How do you break up your day so that you can do you know run the you know run the 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 rest of the business and then also do customer service. Efficiently. So, my routine, like customer service, is what I start with. I start my day. I use we use uh, Front for email, which is a lovely email product. Uh, it, it lets you know share share multiple inboxes with a whole team of people, feed Twitter and Facebook, and it's a lovely product. Front, and so I start my day in Front, and I just sit down and address any and all email that came in during the night. And once that's done, and only once it's done, I move on for, you know, move into anything else I want to do. Usually deep work, so to speak, you know, work where I, I, I don't have pings or anything like that, alerts for emails. I don't believe in that. So it's once per day, I do everything and then I move on. Got it. So you don't take the approach where I think, I think also a lot of other entrepreneurs will do this where they will answer emails as they come in, you'd hand it all in a batch. Absolutely. And the same goes, people ask me, you know, every now and then, why is there no chat? Why is there no chat either on the website or like a Slack for um, Ergodox CZ users and so on? Because I just don't have the bandwidth. Chat might be nice, but someone has to moderate. And, you know, I that's, that's not something I'm going to get into at this point. So batching out email like this is, to me a great way because then I get into this mindset and I just really deal with things in a very um, in a very intentional way. Right. And there's this idea of switching costs involved, right? When you're switching from one context where you're you're working on designing products or the site and also you're jumping to emails and answering customer service, it's not a free exchange of attention, right? It's going to cost you some downtime to stop what you're doing and start something up and then going back and forth will not only waste time, but also can burn you out too, right? It tires you out when you have to constantly... Uh, change the context that you're working in. So I think that that's a, a great idea that you you do things in batches and it, it provides you to get really deep into the flow of whatever it is that you're working on, whether it be customer service or once you're done that, moving on to another part of your your business. Uh, so now you, you mentioned that most of your ex- experiences with, with customers and, and your customer service have been pleasant experiences. So when you do have the, 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 the occasional unhappy or maybe even angry customer, I'm not sure if you have these, but maybe even an upset customer, What's your what's your approach? Like, how do you approach them to to make sure everyone's happy at the end of the day? I surprise them because what I find is that when there is an upset customer, nearly each and every time, they tell themselves a story in their mind, and in their story, they already know how this interaction is going to pan out. They know that they're just about to get screwed by some. Mm-hmm terrible customer service experience. They are preemptively frustrated uh, because this, you know, they've been here and this very expensive thing that they bought isn't doing what they thought it would do or whatever, right? And and I just completely surprised them. I, I, I do whatever it was they wanted to be done. Um, and, and they're taken aback and they're... They're often, you know, it's funny because almost every time the, the second email thread that started out uh, is apologetic. Mm. Uh, and I understand that because, you know, there, you know, it's a lot of money again. And, and, and it's a product that it's a very high contact product, product they every day. Right. And so if, if something goes wonky, it's going to affect your entire work. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of emotion tied in there. But Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's really what I do. I don't even get into the emotion. I simply help people, and you help people, and 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 that goes to the burnout factor also. Because I think one of the things that's kind of frustrating about having a customer service job is that for some reason, customer service tends to be 
Um, I don't be powerless in, in a given organization. Like, you know, you call customer service and there isn't really all mm-hmm. that much they can do to help you. They're like bound up by so many regulations and whatnot, and they're not allowed to exercise any power. Are there other businesses that maybe other entrepreneurs may have heard of that you, whose customer service you, you admire and you try to replicate? Absolutely. So number one, in, in, in my mind, Mad Me. Mad Mimi is an email marketing company. I'm, I'm one of the developers uh, to this day. And uh, they've been acquired by GoDaddy, but they really kept their spirit. And they actually brought that spirit over to GoDaddy. And, and one of the key differentiators for Mad Mimi is customer service. And it's an exceptional level of customer service. So, so a, lot of the, a lot of the impact I kind of got to see firsthand there with Mad Mimi's uh, support department, basically. What's your stance on when customers are unhappy in a public forum where it's like in reviews or in discussion forums or online where like in blog comments where people are publicly unhappy? Is your, how, how is your approach there? You know, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's hard for me to answer because that would be in theory. Like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff about us online. There's reviews, there's YouTube videos, there's people in Reddit, you know, and I I honestly struggle to find something that is that is very negative because people first and foremost, you know, they they, they do tend to write. I mean, I had this one guy actually. I a single story comes to mind in all my years of running the business. This one guy uh, on Reddit. He um, apparently works for this for a large company, and we are not actually focused on on B two B and large companies. But this guy works at a large company uh, in their insurance department. Right? The companies like State and whatnot. They have a department which says, okay, we uh, we review so and so ergonomic equipment, and the you know if employees are having ergonomic issues, the company will sponsor this limited list of uh, you know of equipment vendors, right? So this guy, who is not even a customer, reviewed the keyboard, so to speak, never contacted me with any questions, and published this scathing and um, and false uh, and anonymous review on Reddit, saying, "Oh, those guys missed out on a huge contract," and like as if I would care. Again, we're we're consumer based, but they missed out on this huge contract because blah 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 blah, and, and like a whole bunch of things which were inaccurate, and. A very interesting thing happened, uh, which is the people on the forum, it's it's the mechanical keywords Reddit, which, you know, it's so people are kind of obsessed and people know the Ergonoxy Z. They stepped in to correct the guy. You know, I, I did reply, politely replied and, you know, and, and added a few things. And then I actually engaged him personally and, and uh, I sent him an email saying, hey, uh, you know, a very polite, a very, in my opinion, very pleasant email saying, "Hey, like, let's open a dialogue here and see what we can address." And he never actually replied. And that was an interesting. That was one of the very few cases where somebody actually said something that wasn't nice. And at the end of the day, it was not about me. This turned out to be an individual who was trying to appear very knowledgeable and kind of improve their own um, standing in that community because Reddit is very much, you know, karma based and whatnot. So he was, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, I know so much about mechanical keyboards. This very well-favored, well-regarded product is actually not so good because ABCD, but you know, people stepped in random people whom I don't even know stepped in and said, well, no, that's not actually the case and kind of set him straight. Um, So it's interesting because to me, I really believe um, that whatever we emphasize, whatever we uh, give our mental energy to, that's often what we end up having. And so if I would obsess about negative reviews and about, oh my gosh, will somebody say something bad or or somebody did say something bad and now I have to, you know, someone is wrong on the internet. You remember that, uh, that uh, comic? Um, that's the wrong thing to obsess about. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather make people happy and 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 look at all the many many people who write in with 
interested, educated questions and and support requests, and actually spontaneously, and this happens multiple times per week, spontaneously write in to say, "Hey, listen, I just I'm just writing to say this keyword is amazing." And I, I post those on, on Facebook with permission every now and then. Just share actual emails, random emails I get from people asking nothing, just writing in to say, hey, thanks, this keyword is awesome. Um, so I just focus on that, and that's been really proving out well. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do, because you get so much of an opportunity to listen to your customers uh, when they're reaching out to you, how do you make sure the rest of the team, the rest of your team gets access to this, you know, vital information about uh, their feed, the customer's feedback and, the, and of course, also the, the positive uh, and, and critical feedback that they might be providing? I well, so first thing there is front, as I mentioned, which is uh, open. You know, we can make accounts to team for team members, uh, but I also actively forward emails. Be it, um, you know, sometimes there's maybe uh, an issue that's come up from a number of people, and so I, you know, forward those emails. Uh, but often, again, I find myself actually forwarding positive emails, like saying, "Hey, hey, guys, just." Look at the impact of what you're doing because you know those are people. Um, ma- we make each keyboard to order, uh, and you know we have a, a great partner in Taiwan. And I say partner because the boss of the company owns half my company. We are really partners, not some OEM. And and it's an amazing team who makes this keyboard day in day out. Um, really crafts people, and um, and I share the emails with them, and I and and I show them, hey, look at the impact you're you're having on people. And I think that's very empowering for all involved. Got it. So you, this sounds like a lot of the, the customer uh, listening, customer feedback comes through, through email, through customer service. Are there other places where you think that entrepreneurs should tap into to, to listen to customers? Any other places online that, that you found to be a great resource that might not have been the first place that other entrepreneurs might go to? Um, well, there is the obvious, you know, there is, we have a Facebook page, we have a Twitter feed and we have, we have actually a subreddit, which might not be super obvious, but we do have mm-hmm. our own subreddit, uh, just as a, you know, potential place for people to write. Um, and that's about it. I'm not, again, like, like I said, I'm not very, um, obsessed with social media. I actually did, I closed out my own Facebook account in I think 2012 or something. And I recently had to reopen it because I needed a Facebook account for the business. So I had to reopen my own, but I, I'm just not a huge fan of, well, not Facebook, not Twitter for many reasons, not for, you know, not for personal use and not so much for business either. Um, I think that there is a misconception um, that, Small business owners, uh, which I consider myself not less of a startup. My mindset is a small business owner, and I say that proudly because, well, we can get into that later. Um, there is this um, misconception that you have to be super, super responsive in terms of time. Like Facebook is going to put on this badge on your profile if you respond to people in less than an hour or all that kind of really push to be Almost, almost reflexive. I don't want to say responsive. It's uber responsive, right? And that's wrong. That's that's really bad because if you are busy doing that, you are losing sight of the big picture. And so, you know, social media is fine. If you're gonna, you know, say something on Facebook, I I might see it. You know what? I might even see it two weeks later. And I know that's blasphemy, but I might see what you're two weeks later. If you write it on Twitter, I'll see it maybe the next day. And maybe I'll reply, maybe I won't. Uh, same for Reddit. Yeah, that's, that's a good point about how Facebook will try to incentivize you to be as responsive as possible. But that's really just to the benefit of Facebook, right? They want people to come to their platform to reach out to businesses. So they want to incentivize and even, maybe even threaten, right? <laughs> the businesses to respond as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you won't receive this uh, ultra rare badge of uh, responsiveness. But it's not always in your best interest. Like you're saying, you can't always be distracted by 
being constantly being tugged one way or the other, responding to everything all the time. And back to the earlier point about how it might be, it acts probably is better for you, your use of your time and, and probably overall your better use for your, your customers for you to be focused on the bigger picture and, and batching your work so that you can then focus on building the business, providing better products and providing a, a, a better, building a better business essentially over time. Um, so when you are, when you, when you are interacting with, uh, with your customers, one, th- one thing that I've heard, one thing that I've seen is that it's one of the harder demographics to essentially sell to are people that are more tech literate or especially software developers are, are, typically seen as a harder demographic to, to, to sell to. Do you find that there are facets of working with and, and selling to, to software developers or people that are, you know, techies, I guess you can call them that are maybe more difficult than, than possibly other industries? I must say I don't. Uh, and I think there's two reasons why one is I am one. I am actually a software developer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's what I do, and you know these are my people, right? Um, and the other aspect here is that we are not for everyone. It is absolutely fine if you look at my keyboard, you go to the website, you look at this thing, and you say, "What is this? I don't like it. I'm never going to buy this thing." Okay. Thank you for looking. I appreciate you taking a look, and that's not a problem. There are many other people who look at this keyboard and fall in love. And I don't have to make them fall in love. I, I don't have I, I found that I don't have to work to sell. I have to simply say, hello world, I made this thing. It looks like this, and this is what it does. And here's why I think it's gonna change your life. Some people are gonna look at that and shrug. Other people are gonna look at that and say, wow. That is what I need on my desk right now, and and that's good enough. You know, I, it's it's not a keyboard for everyone. It's a keyboard for the people who understand why it is for them. Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense, and and that's really important because of the the price point that we were talking about earlier. You know, these are not cheap keyboards, right? They're three hundred dollar plus keyboards. Can you talk a little about the the the, the decision making behind the, the price point, how you arrived at the the, the price that the the price point of the product? Yeah, for sure. That's actually an important part of the of the story, I guess. So I mentioned the people making the keyboard. Uh, and how do we make this thing? So this thing is made by a company in Taiwan that I'm intensely proud to be associated with. The company's name is Tibo. That's T-I-B-B-O, Tibo.com. And um, I used to work with them. I actually, I used to work with them years and years ago. And then, you know, I, I went on my way, but we remained friends. And And when I had the idea for the keyboard, I knew who I wanted to make this hardware with me. And that's that's Tibo. And um, we make the keyboard in an office building in Taipei. Um, And it's made by employees, not contractors. And they're fairly paid. They get time off. They get benefits. They get, you know, everything. And, And this is not a bunch of, like, you know, basically, and, you know, how do I say this? Well, I'll say it like it is. Most people, when they have an idea, they end up with an OEM factory in China, uh, which means you know you go to this factory and this factory tells you, well, okay, if you buy fifty thousand widgets, we're going to make this widget for you mm-hmm. uh, at this and this price, and that's it. And you have no idea, usually, unless you're very big, you have no idea who is actually making this widget for you. How do they treat the employees? How do you know? And, and most often. Maybe you don't even care all that much. I don't know. But, you know, it's the factory's game and your game is a race to the bottom. You want these widgets to spec and for the absolute least amount of money that you can possibly get them for. And that means that whoever makes them gets, you know, that's, you know, that's what they get. Right. And I don't like that because I kind of think that people should be treated uh, with respect uh, for, for what they do. And so we... The bottom line here is that this keyboard is expensive because it's crazy, crazy expensive to make. We pay the employees, um, you know, decent wages, and we use keycaps that are made in the U.S. Um, by Signature Plastics, uh, extremely high quality keycaps. Uh, 
And everything around this keyboard is just made with such care that it costs a lot of money to make. And that's also why I don't have resellers. And I don't have, you know, people ask me, hey, you know, people routinely write and say, hey, can I sell your stuff? Can I sell your stuff in Switzerland and wherever, right? Can we establish a relationship? I say, well, no, sorry, I don't have the margin. We are built in a way that really allow, why aren't you on Amazon? Same thing, Amazon, you know, is going to take their their share and it's not going to work out because so much of this, like, I, I don't want to give a number, but a ridiculous amount of the 325 that you pay me for a keyboard actually goes to the people who make the keyboard. Um, which which is as it should be, in my opinion. But that's how we got to the price. It's just crazy mm-hmm. expensive to make. Yeah, so that, that, those are certainly cl- uh, very valid reasons for, for the pricing. Now, how do you explain this pricing to customers, or do 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 they do they care? Like, how do you make sure that they understand why their the, the the keyboard is the price it is? So that's a funny story. First of all, how? let me just ask the point, how I explain just like this. What I just told you is what I tell people mm-hmm. because I'm very proud of it. I think it's the right thing to do. And and even more, you know, okay, here's another example, Chinese New Year. Uh, we've just had Chinese New Year. Um, it's it's uh, the year the dog just started. And that's a huge deal in Taiwan and in mainland China. And, you know, people get time off. And so... Our team gets paid time off. Everyone gets paid time off. We're not going to keep people in the factory, in the you know, in the in the building over Chinese New Year. We're just not going to do that. So we posted a message on the website saying, "Hey, it's Chinese New Year, and the team is getting some time off, and lead time is going to be extended right now." And we had a big red banner uh, at the top of the website letting people know, and and people get that. You know, yes, yeah, sales dipped. Of course, they dipped, but people still kept buying because they do appreciate other people being treated um, mm-hmm. decently, especially in manufacturing industry, especially in hardware. So, yeah, that's I guess that's the simple answer. Got it. Now, you so this all goes back to what you were saying earlier about how your your manufacturer is your partner, and I think you said that they own fifty percent of the business. Yeah, that's that's cool. So this is definitely the first time I'm I'm hearing about a structure like this. Can you, can you go a little more details about how this was, I guess, set up for anyone else out there that wants to essentially uh, bring on a, an actual partner, like you're saying, like a real partner, someone that has skin in the game for your success. How do you make sure that you can structure something like this up so that you guys can both be successful? That's a great question. And, you know, they often speak about an unfair advantage. Uh, and this is kind of my unfair advantage. This is kind of the ace up my sleeve. And this guy's name is, uh, his name is Dmitry Slepov and Dima. Uh, and um, we've been friends. Well, he was my boss, actually, way back when. I think it was, I don't know, 2004, something like that. And I worked from Israel for Taiwan, you know, and and I met this guy at at, at some convention in Germany, and he, we we hit it off. We like really good chemistry. He said, "Why don't you come work for me?" And and so I worked for a number of years, and then I went on my merry way. And like I mentioned, when I when I had this idea, I was like, "Hey, I should make this keyboard because the keyboard was was available in kit form." And I said, "No, I don't want a kit. I want a, I want a keyboard, right?" And I'm sure I'm not the only one. So I immediately um, wrote Dima, and so he said. You know, he he liked the idea. He said, okay, let's make a company together. Let's make something together. And so we're actually three partners, and that's the ZSA in in, in ZSA. So that's me, Zuckerman, uh, Slepov, which is uh, Dima, and uh, Aitken, which is the third partner. And he is a wonderful, uh, first of all, friend and intellectual property lawyer from uh, from the U.S. And that is a killer combo. And it's a really great structure having the manufacturer be an actual partner. So just to clarify, it's not that Thibault owns half my company. Dima himself personally owns half my company. Mm. Um, and and that's amazing because it completely appends this OEM dynamic. You know, the traditional OEM dynamic has a very has a conflict of interest built into it because the OEM wants to make money. And and you know and and 
give you the least possible for you know to try to 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 make the most right but then when our fates are intertwined like this that dynamic stops working and we're all suddenly aligned and we're all, you know, gunning to do the right thing for the customer and that's how we're growing. So I do actually want to talk about the website a bit. So yeah, it's a really cool design website and the part that you're talking about that really did stick out to me too when I went through it was the create a keyboard, uh, I guess, page, which is very similar, like you said, to to a wizard on how to design or to, to pick the parts that go into into your keyboard. Can you can you say a little bit about how how this was built? I can I can see that it was uh, designed by by Mario the, the designer. But how, was there any technology? What kind of technology is behind how to actually create something like this? If any other uh, business owners out there want to do something similar, for sure. So this is a great example because it's not actually our final destination. Um, this is what we have now because we had a set starting point that many other Shopify users have, and that's a theme. I, you know, when I first started, I looked around, got a Shopify theme that looked reasonable, and and you know, ran with it, right? And so when Mario um, got into things, he kind of inherited this theme, and and so today, had we started from scratch, I would go with a fully React app and use Shopify in pure API mode and all that, but that's not the case. So what we have there, what you see on the page, basically, the way it's put together, is um, those are SVGs. And what's nice about SVGs is that you can style them, you can use CSS, and you can use JavaScript to uh, basically change the graphics on the screen, the, the vector graphics. SVG is uh, an acronym for Scalable Vector Graphics, and it's uh, a picture that stays tack sharp no matter how much you zoom it in. So those are not uh, like JPEGs or photos that are going to get blurry on you. Those are mm-hmm. actually vector graphics. And we have, honestly, a bunch of jQuery rocking it like it's, you know, 2003 uh, right now. Uh, it's a bunch of jQuery that swaps out the images in the background according to what you pick. And we integrated that into the Shopify API. So we put out an API call. We pull back in a collection of products and SKUs. That you know, we know the SKUs you know are are very carefully chosen uh, internally, so that we know what's the SKU for a keyboard that that's black without keycaps and has uh, a strip of LEDs. You know, um, that SKU can be programmatically derived, and so when when you pick out those options, we essentially construct the SKU. Um, this part, I. I wrote like the you know the the matching logic there, um, and Mario put together basically everything else, all the interaction and everything how it works together, and um, and then we know okay this is the SKU this this person uh, you know picked, and then we because we pulled in a JSON from the API, we have all the prices for everything. We update the price live on the screen. And we factor in the shipping cost. Also, by the way, that's important. We show the same price all throughout the process, and um, and then you hit add to cart, and we send in um, an API call for add to cart with a product ID, which we got, you know, again in the initial call for the JSON, adds it to the cart, and off you go to check out. Got it. So certainly not not a, not something you can do natively with uh, a, the Shopify setup. It will require uh, some certainly some some coding or actually lots of it based on what you're saying. Um, so, and one other thing I noticed about your the site that I liked was the the buy, the buy now button where. When I go to it, it gives me options. It doesn't just allow me to buy something immediately. It says, uh, get a keyboard, get accessories, give it as a gift. And this is really cool. I've never seen someone do this before. What was the, the intention behind that? How did you guys come up with the idea to, to add this? Um, basically, I felt this is relatively new, actually, I must say. This is a few weeks old, this change. And before, it was just the classic buy now and you go to the main page. And I felt we were doing the accessories um, a bit of a disservice because we sell things that can be useful even for people who did not actually buy the keyboard. For example, we sell very high-quality mechanical key switches. You could just buy key switches. And that's because our keyboard is one of the few keyboards on the market that lets you swap out your own key switches. You can literally... Like pulling a tooth, right? You can literally pull a key switch out of the keyboard and pop a new one in. And so when we introduced this feature, uh, we wanted to also offer key switches. But 
this is the industry standard part, and maybe people want to buy them for other things. So I kind of wanted to surface those things a bit better. Uh, and the same with the gifts. You know, I, I, I've often had people write in and say, "Hey, this is this is actually a pretty popular gift." Uh, you know, it's it's a graduation gift sometimes, or it's a new job gift, or it's you know even a nice Christmas gift. Um, and people would write in and ask, okay, so how do I buy this thing? You know, it's such a complicated thing to buy if you're buying it for somebody else. And you're not a tech who's super passionate about Cherry MX Red key switches, you know? Um, and so we enabled this option as well. And, you know, Mario put together a lovely page for it. And and so we kind of surfaced it. Mm-hmm. And one other thing when it comes to buying is that it says here right on top of the buy now button is that you also accept Bitcoin. And, and this is another uh, element of your site that I haven't seen in too many other sites just yet. H- how, how has this been? How has it been to, to accept a cryptocurrency for, for purchase? It works. I mean, we use BitPay, which is the, the integration Shopify offers. So first of all, I guess I, I want to say that it was easy to set up. And that people do use it. People do purchase keywords over Bitcoin. Um, it's one of those items that makes sense to sell over Bitcoin because it's not a microtransaction. And, and one of the issues with Bitcoin specifically is escalating transaction costs. Uh, sometimes a single transaction can cost as much as 20 bucks, which is insane. Uh, it's a, it's a supply and demand based, so often it's as low as three bucks, but sometimes it's way more. So you don't want to sell something for 10 bucks you know, over Bitcoin, that does not make sense. But if it's a mm-hmm. $300 keyboard, that might make more sense. And it's it's been working. I started doing it because it's funny, but it's kind of a counter reaction to Bitcoin. It's a game. It's 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 honestly it's gambling. It's speculation. It's uh, you know uh, even more so today with algorithmic trading. If you see Bitcoin fluctuations, a lot of what you see is bots responding to other bots. Mm-hmm. So you know there's like this ripple effect that's telling you Bitcoin plummets down like crazy and all that. Why is that? Uh, you know the the technology obviously works. This is an actual form of currency, right? The blockchain is a real thing and it's an amazing breakthrough. Why does it behave so erratically? That's because it has too little tangible value. You know, it's it's imaginary money. It's monopoly money, right? And um, and I wanted to mellow it out a little bit in my own small way and balance it out and, and kind of, you know, put my, again, put my money where my mouth is and say, hey, okay, it's, it's actual currency. Let's treat it as such. Here, I'll, I'll sell you a real thing, a real, a high-end consumer product for this new form of currency, let's let's start treating Bitcoin as money and not as you know a crazy money printing machine or you know whatever people think it may be. And I think if enough people do you know do the same thing, it would it would eventually stabilize and we would have a viable form of currency there, which can solve many problems. Got it. So it sounds like it was easy to set up and it is helping you advance or at least helping you you play your part in advancing uh, the Bitcoin into actually being a currency rather than just like gambling, I guess, is, is how, how, how you're describing it. So other than these kind of cool things you've added to your site, which have been uh, obviously beneficial to your site, any other applications that you use on the site itself that, that uh, have been helpful? Yes. So there's there's order printer templates, which has been quite handy. Um, and this what what this does basically is you know Shopify lets you print orders right if you fulfill from home, but uh, for my purposes people sometimes ask for an invoice or something like that uh, beyond the shipping invoice we obviously include with the product, and I wanted to give them something nice. And this app is lovely because I think it's a one-time payment, if I'm not mistaken. And you basically get a, a nice liquid and CSS template. And you can you know, make a PDF of an invoice that looks presentable. Uh, so I do use that quite often. And um, we also have our own homebrew. One, one nice thing about Shopify apps is that you can write your own. Again, you know, if 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 you're so inclined, uh, Shopify has a lovely API, and that's a big benefit. And um, and so we have our own homebrew uh, app that we use for fulfillment. And I guess one thing I want to say here that's not an app that's been a, a revelation for me 
um, because I don't use an app for it, and there are so many apps for it, is abandoned cart emails. And, um, you know, you can find many apps that are going to email people a coupon after they abandon the cart or, you know, super well-designed emails to elicit, you know, maybe they're going to come back and, 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 you know, and, uh, and get your thing if you give them a discount. And I didn't want to do that, on, again, because I just don't have the margin to do it, right? But I, I was actually genuinely curious about why why do people abandon the cart, right? You go in, you you spec out the keyboard just the way you like it, you add it to your cart, you put in your shipping address, and you go. Why? And so I put together a very basic email uh, asking just that. I go like, okay, so you almost have an Ergodoxy Z. What happened? And just a couple lines of text. Hey, um, you know, just do you want to tell me like why did you almost get a keyboard? Thanks. Bye. Uh, literally, like a one-liner, I think. And I've been sending those out as as a, as a, an abandoned cart email, uh, with the idea being I genuinely wanted to learn and get to know these people. I, I wasn't trying to sell. And now here's the funny thing. You know what is the uh, cart recovery rate? Meaning the rate of people who get this email and then go on and complete their purchase. It's fourteen percent. Wow. Which is double the industry average. Yeah, certainly which, worth the time to do that. Then it's hilarious because yeah, I mean, all all I did there, and you know, they they respond to the email and they engage, and again, I utilize this this uh, very quirky thing maybe that I do, which is I reply to all emails myself, and that's why I have the confidence to send out this simple email and sign it with my own name because I know that I'm not lying and I'm not pretending that if this person takes the time to reply to the email. And people write sometimes and say, oh, this is an automated message. And I go, oh, yeah, sure, it's automated, but I actually read each and every reply. And here I am, and I'm the same guy, you know? And um, and that's super powerful. So I guess what I'm saying here is that apps are good. Same thing for social media, right? Uh, apps are fine, but really they're not a substitute for being authentic and for putting in emotional labor. Right. Great way to end this then. So, you know, thank you so much, Erez. Ergodox-easy.com, E-R-G-O-D-O-X-easy.com. Great lessons here. I think that you said a lot of great things about how to perform customer service and how to treat your customers like humans and not just, you know, people that are giving you, you money. So certainly appreciate you coming on. What are the, the big goals? What, what kind of plans do you guys have for, for the remainder of this year? To make really, really good computer keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> so new, new, new products. Is that what you're saying? Or, or uh, improvements on the current product? Everything. I mean, we're in tech, we can't stand still. So we're constantly mm-hmm. iterating and introducing new things. And I, I'm pretty excited about what's to come. And uh, well, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, folks will have to to check out the site and stay tuned. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. Everything that we create in terms of content or in terms of our products It needs to be authoritative, it needs to be helpful, and it needs to be interesting. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.